Hello, I'm Katie Sewell, and this is A Bittersweet Moment with Tiffany Parks. Hello, and welcome to The Bittersweet Life. I'm Tiffany Parks, and this is your midweek bittersweet moment. If you listen to Monday's episode, you will recall Katie and I debating the question posed to us by our listener, Tyler, who wrote in to ask, should I move abroad now or should I wait, considering much of the world is still embroiled in a pandemic? You'll have to go back and listen to that episode to hear what Katie and I advised him and the differences in our opinions on that. But the discussion sort of got me reminiscing about my own first very few weeks, days, weeks, and months living as an expat in Rome so many years ago. Now, a lot of times to me, it doesn't feel like it was that long ago because since I moved to Rome in September of 2004, all those 17 years ago, almost exactly 17 years ago, um, I have never moved anywhere else. I've traveled a good deal, changed jobs several times, had a lot of personal and professional milestones in that period, but I have not moved somewhere else. And so for that reason, sometimes that time, those 17 years can kind of all meld together and it doesn't really feel like so much time has passed. But when I sit and think about the differences between what life was like for me as an expat in 2004 and what life is like for someone who arrives today in 2021, it does make me realize how much the world has changed and therefore how much time has passed. So I thought I would just reminisce a little bit about some of those very first things that happened to me and that I encountered and how those things don't really exist anymore or they don't happen quite in the same way anymore. Now, first of all, I was lucky enough when I moved to Rome to have what you would call in Italian an appoggio, uh, something to lean on, which was my Italian relatives, my third cousins, I believe they are, on my mother's side. Now, I am no longer in contact with those family members anymore. That is a long story in and of itself, because to put it in the briefest terms, they didn't treat me very nicely, and I decided to break all contact. But... On the positive side, they did offer me a place to live when I first moved to Rome and I did not yet have an apartment. And I lived with them for probably two weeks before I found my first apartment. They lived, coincidentally, not that far from where my husband and I purchased a home about five years ago, only a little bit further out of the city than we are. It seemed to me like I was living in the countryside at that time because, of course, I was not familiar with anything but the historic center of the city. And so I was taking buses and the metro in and out of the city every day, trying to find an apartment, a job, and possibly even a few friends. One of the first things that struck me living in Rome, and this, I will say, has not changed so much, but this is just an impression that I wanted to share with you. The room that I lived in, in the home of these family members, had those blackout shutters, not the serande that you open and close up and down, but the actual swinging shutters, the persiane, as they're called in Italian. And when I woke up in the morning, I could see a little bit of light coming through them, but I could not see the sky because of the way that they're angled. 
And I remember so clearly every single morning in late September, opening the shutters, expecting to find a gray and gloomy fall day and every single day being shocked at the bright, cloudless, sunny sky. It seemed to me in those first two weeks I lived in Rome that it was only ever bright and sunny. And I will admit, Rome is a very sunny city. It still is, but I don't know if it's as sunny as it was in 2004. Now, I, of course, wanted to live in Trastevere. I had traveled to Rome several times before, and the previous visit that I had made, which was in May of that same year, 2004, I had spent a little time in Trastevere. I had decided this is where I have to live. You could kind of tell that it was where the expats naturally flocked to. So I was determined to find a place to live in that area. Now, finding an apartment back in 2004 was a bit more complicated than it is today because although there were ads on the internet, the internet itself just wasn't as accessible as it is today. For those youngsters listening out there, there were no smartphones yet. We did have cell phones, yes, but no smartphones, no internet on the phone. And even Wi-Fi, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure Wi-Fi was not a thing yet. So even if you had a laptop, and I did, and it weighed about 300 pounds, you couldn't just tote your laptop around with you and hook up to the Wi-Fi of any cafe you happen to come across. So you would basically have two options. Either you could go, you know, if you were an expat who didn't have their own home internet connection, you could go to an internet cafe or you could just use non-digital methods, which is what I opted for. So I picked up a paper. It was a bi-weekly paper called Porta Portese. It might still exist, although I don't know that the paper version of it still exists. It looks kind of like a newspaper, but all it is is classified ads for renting and buying homes, buying almost anything, and also for jobs, and probably for more than that. I would go through this paper, I don't want to say cover to cover, because of course Well, there were no covers. Uh, It was just a newspaper. But I mean, I was looking for specifically just the rental apartments. It was not easy because it's all in Italian, of course. I spoke enough Italian to be able to understand the basics. But there are a lot of of terms that you wouldn't necessarily know, even if you'd studied Italian pretty extensively. This is when I learned that piano rialzato, which it sounds like it's a high floor, right, to my non-native mind, it sounded like, okay, that's a high floor. Piano rialzato means it's ground floor level, maybe up four or five steps. I also learned that there's a neighborhood in in Rome, in the far, far outskirts of Rome called Divino Amore, Divine Love. And I naively assumed that that meant it was on the Vicolo di Divino Amore, famous for being the street where Caravaggio's studio was. (laughs) Might be able to conclude why I wanted to live there. And when I saw the price of this apartment, I was just gobsmacked and I called very excitedly thinking that I would be getting an apartment in the dead center of Rome only to find out, no, it was very, very far outside of the center. 
But, um, you know, you'd slowly start to learn the terminology and the meaning behind these things. And you would have to, of course, call up and ask them to make an appointment with you to go and visit the apartment. It was an extremely time-consuming process. And a lot of times these ads could be very misleading. There were, of course, no photographs. That's obvious. You know, even the neighborhoods, were, it was not always that clear. Sometimes it would just say historic center. But the exactness of that was up for debate. So suffice it to say, it took me several weeks to find an apartment. And it was really just a room in someone's apartment. And that was the case for the first year that I lived in Rome. I was really just renting out rooms. And the first three apartments were really bad news for different reasons, which I won't go into now. But it definitely took a long time for me to find a place that was livable. Now, internet cafes, I I feel like the younger listeners might not even be that familiar with what an internet cafe is. It wasn't necessarily a cafe. They Most of them, in fact, did not even serve food or beverages, which I think is a real mistake. I think they could have made a lot more money if they did. And you would go in and you would sit down at a desk or a table with a computer that... I don't even want to think about it now, how sticky and dusty the keyboards were, mouses that, you know, that barely worked, dial-up internet that was so slow, maybe on purpose so that you would spend more time there because, of course, you would pay by the hour or half hour or perhaps in increments of 10 minutes. All I remember was it was terribly expensive for, you know, a very short period of time and you almost didn't get anything done. You know, you were lucky if you got to check your email and you had a message from your mom. So different. So, so different. As far as cell phones, you wouldn't have showed up in Italy and just used your American, if you're from America like me, cell phone plan. It would not have been possible. It would not have been economically feasible. So you would have to purchase a SIM card for an Italian phone company. Now, a lot of expats, particularly those who come to Europe for short periods of time, like students, they just continue to use their American phone number because really all they're using the phone for is to go on the internet and they can use WhatsApp or iMessage to call people. Oh, what a simple time it is to live now when you think about it and how complex it was back in those days trying to make phone calls. We did not have any such luxury back in those days. So what you would do is, first of all, you had to just pray that your cell phone that you owned from your home country was unlocked because usually it was locked to either the phone provider or even the country that you were coming from. So you couldn't even use it in Europe and you might have to buy your a whole new cell phone. And they were so expensive back then for, for really what you were getting. 200 euros for, you know, a phone that could only make phone calls. So you would purchase a uh, possibly a new phone, but definitely a SIM card. And then instead of having a, an actual phone plan in which you paid 10 or 12 or 15 euros a month for service, and it included a certain number of minutes and text messages, oh, no, 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 no. You would put money on your phone as needed. And first of all, you would put something like, 10 euros on your phone and the phone company would take like a two or three euro commission. So in the end, you would spend 10 euros and you would only get seven. I don't know if anyone listening out there remembers this. They did outlaw this in 2006. 
2007, early 2007. So you could, the phone company could no longer just take some of your money and just pocket it. But you would put this money on your phone and then you would text someone and text messages were like 20 cents each. And if you had a conversation with someone, you could easily just run out of your $7 just like that. And calling people was even more expensive. It was a luxury to actually have a conversation on a cell phone. I probably spent 50 or even more euros a month to use a cell phone for the, you know, for like <laughs> the very, very basic necessity. I remember the night that the Red Sox won the World Series in October of 2004. I called my brother-in-law in Los Angeles. He's a huge Yankees fan. And I had to rub it in his nose a little bit because he hates the Red Sox so much. And I think that phone call might have cost me 20 euros. What we did back then most of the time was purchase a phone card, like an international phone card. You would pick this up at the local tabaqueria for five euros and you'd have to dial a like 300 digit code to be able to have a decently affordable conversation to Europe. So that was how I talked to my family members and my best friends back home with this little paper phone card that I would have to dig out. And, you know, it really took a lot of planning to talk to people back home. And I think one of the biggest improvements in the life of an expat today is just the ease in which you can communicate with people, not just in your city, of course, but around the world. And I think we're so fortunate now to have that. Another memory that I have, very distinct memory, of one of my very first days living in Rome was a day that I went to Trastevere. I was still living out in the middle of nowhere, but I took two or three buses into the center of town to try to find a job, really. And I had very few qualifications. I spoke Italian to a decent degree. I could have probably easily gotten a job as a secretary, which I had a lot of experience doing, only I did not have legal documents. So that was out of the question. But I, you know, I knew I could teach English if I had to. And I did that a little bit. But but my, my one sort of qualification that I had up my sleeve was I was a licensed yoga teacher. And so I went into the city to try to find a place where I could teach yoga. And I'll never forget, I was walking through Trastevere and I saw a young American man. I don't know how I could tell he was American, but I just could. And he was carrying a yoga mat under his arm. I basically followed him. <laughs> this was how you found jobs back in 2004 as an undocumented expat. I followed this young man to the door of a yoga studio, which was closed and he was furious because, you know, it wasn't supposed to be closed at that hour. And he clearly was expecting there to be a lesson at that time. I just remember so much, not just, you know, oh, my gosh, I found a yoga studio. Maybe I can get a job here, which I actually eventually did get a job at that yoga studio, which paid so little that I basically had to use my savings to support myself for my first nine months in Rome. But I just remember wanting to talk to this guy. It wasn't that I was interested in him romantically. I just was so desperate to talk to anyone from my own country. And I think that that is a very normal thing for any expat when they first arrive. To not have any way of doing that, to not have access to something like Facebook or expat groups, online expat groups, 
an Instagram community of people that you've been following for years and you feel like you know, even though you've never met. Those things did not exist when I first moved to Rome. I had no real clear way of meeting people. And I did, of course, want to meet and make Italian friends. But in those first few weeks, I really, really just needed to talk to someone who was from where I was from and who could understand the kind of things that I was going through. With no real way to make friends, the very first friend, true friend that I made, if you don't count the roommate that I lived with, who was very nice, but I only lived with her for three weeks and never saw her again, really the true first friend that I made was at an Irish pub on New Year's Eve. And considering I moved to Rome on the 21st of September, and I didn't meet my first friend till New Year's Eve, that is pretty sad. But I mean, I, I really had nowhere else to make friends that I could come up with besides maybe taking a class, which sadly I could not afford to do at that time. But everything turned out all right. Although that first year was, as I've mentioned before, for sure on this show, incredibly lonely. It nevertheless taught me so much. And if you're thinking of moving abroad right now, just know that it'll be much easier than it was for those of us who did it back in the olden days. I hope you've enjoyed this little blast from the past. I certainly have. Thank you so much for listening and join us again. Bye. If you love the show, take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to read while you listen, and your rating might help someone else discover the show. Take just a couple of minutes to let the world know what you think of this show. It means the world to us. Thanks. Thank you.